0: And I think that's always the mark of a good coach is when you can break down a skill and explain it to a level that you didn't need it broken down for you to understand it. And I think that's where a lot of like, you know, as far as athletes across any sport who are like really well accomplished, they tend to not be the best coaches because they were so natural. They could just pick up on things. They didn't need to like have things broken down. So they have a hard time breaking that down for Mm -hmm. people who start at a lower point than them. Hello,
1: I'm Craig Constantine. Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I talk with movement enthusiasts to learn who they are, what they do, and why they do it. This episode is with Ryan Mallon, Bushwhacking, Parkour, and Making Your Own Path. Ryan Mallon is a parkour athlete, coach, rock climber, and general outdoorsman. His personal journey includes being an American parkour sponsored athlete and an APK ambassador. He's coached state champion and regional placing gymnasts and has competed in World Chase Tag USA. More recently, Ryan spends much of his time in the beautiful mountains outside of Asheville, North Carolina, hiking, climbing, and photographing nature. Ryan, thank you for inviting me to your home. It actually never ceases to amaze me that people are often willing to, like, get emails from us about 30 hours in advance, and we're like, hey, this crazy dude named Craig is going to show up at your house with a backpack full of stuff and point recording equipment at you. Are you down for that? And Ryan's like, yeah, what could possibly go wrong? So thank you for inviting me in. Thanks for taking the time. I I keep looking to my left. There's, there's like, a rack of rock climbing gear, and... So when I left, I'm from Pennsylvania, and I've been like driving for a week. When I left, I thought there is the chance that I might get to Asheville, and I'm not bringing my rock climbing gear. Otherwise, I'll be out here. I'll never go home. I'll be out here forever. So I left it all at home. I didn't bring any shoes. So I don't know whether I want to talk about rock climbing or whether I want to talk about let's 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 start with my understanding is that you spend a little bit of time outdoors around the. I don't know if it's just Asheville or if it's this is the Blue Ridge, right? Yes, which makes me double clutch because there's a Blue Ridge in Pennsylvania and it's probably the same Appalachian Ridge that goes all the way up. But we have a Blue Ridge Mountain where I'm from. It actually looks very much like these. It's kind of like old and worn off. So how big of a footprint would you
0: call your stomping grounds around here? Oh, that's a good question. I've been trying to figure out the Blue Ridge thing for 10 years now. I'm pretty sure it's just this general term to describe the entire Appalachian chain that passes through just Western North Carolina. Mm. I don't think it's really specifically like any set peaks, <laughs> but I would say that my entire footprint is all over Western North Carolina. I mean if I mean probably three hours of driving in every direction. In any direction from here in Asheville. <laughs> How did you end up here? Did you come here for the rock climbing or
1: did you come here for school? Because I know that you also basically built the Asheville parkour scene too. So,
0: so what- yeah. So I grew up in New Jersey and in 2011, I just couldn't take it anymore over there. <laughs> I just, just, just couldn't do it anymore. anymore. Let's rag
1: on New Jersey. What yeah. Exit?
0: <laughs> I mean, it was uh, the last exit I lived at, in case anybody was curious about that. It's exit 105. <laughs> Ocean Township. I was right, right on the shore. <laughs> Maybe we should, um, should we unpack that joke? No, let's just let it go. One hundred five. Okay, so you're one hundred five. Keep going. One hundred five. Yeah. Th- those who know will know. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I just couldn't take it anymore. Just there was really nothing going on for me there. I was just kind of in this like weird transition point in my life where, you know, I had a full academic scholarship to nursing school. Started doing that for like a semester. Realized that I could not do that for the next forty years and keep mm. sanity in my life. And I just. I was just in this weird transition point in my life where I was craving something that I couldn't get in New Jersey. <laughs> okay. Probably <laughs> <I brought laughs> <a lot of laughs> cancer, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I was craving stop. a cancer free environment. <laughs> Jersey's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Keep going. Keep going. And uh, yeah. It, and, you know, at the time, I don't know how it came up, but somehow, you know, I was talking with my father and, Asheville, North Carolina somehow just came up. He was in a similar situation of himself where he was trying to transition out of the state and I just didn't really have a lot of avenues. I had nothing really holding me there and I just had this very strong pull towards just like going and doing something different, going somewhere out of there, somewhere I've never been. Hmm. Um, Asheville, North Carolina came up. Um, I've never been to North Carolina before that. Didn't even know Asheville was in the mountains.
1: (laughs) Uh, so the, I don't know if it says on all the license plates or just some of them, but I've been on the highway a little bit in the last week. Pfft, I'm afraid to look at the total mileage. And as I'm driving along, I, I started noticing some of the plates, at least say from sea to mountains, I think mm-hmm. it's on the plates. And like, I'm thinking, well, I mean, you know, there's some hills in North Carolina, but you know, <laughs> so I came all the way basically from Raleigh today. And so I drove and I'm like, oh yeah, let's get a little hilly. All right. Okay. And then I got to, uh, it's like. Gateway or something is the name of the exit. There's a town or something. And I'm like, oh, that's suspiciously like some kind of mountain. Like when you see a town named Gateway, it's like over the Rockies or something. And then we started up that hill. Holy cow. My little four-cylinder van is like, are you serious? I'm like, downshift. I'm over in the truck lane. <laughs> I'm going like 50. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's like six miles of straight up, which I'm like, okay, there are mountains in North Carolina. I was not expecting that. And then after you come over the top, it must be higher. There must be. It I, I didn't go down the backside as far as I came up the front side and then i was like oh and then all of a sudden there's like flat i don't know what you call them like, valleys yeah but the valleys are like they're like filled in and then there's like farmland and grazing land i'm like well this is different it's not sandy yeah so it was like a completely different space and then you get the oh, there's probably a fancy name for when you look out you can see like four ridges into the distance and then they're like they get hazier and bluer as you look out and it was like oh yes okay now I get it. Now I see why there's climbing in North Carolina.
0: Yeah. Um, and you can see why they call it the Blue Ridge Mountains, yeah. too. Yeah. Were, were you into climbing when you came out here or was... No. So I had, right before I left New Jersey, probably about a month before I moved is when I would say I started training loosely like parkour. Hmm. And it's funny because um a really good friend of mine at the time well at that time still a really good friend of mine, what am I saying? Um his name's Vinny Noto. and you know, I used to live with him right before that point too. And, you know, we were always just we are very adventure based. And we were very into like exploring abandoned buildings and just kind of searching around and what's over there and what's in there. But mm. in New Jersey there's not a lot of What's over there and what's in there, and any abandoned building you go into, you're like very paranoid that a cop's gonna come in and arrest you any second. Yeah, (laughs) so we did as much as that as we could. And one day we were at um just a local playground, kind of between we lived a few blocks from each other, and there was a playground between the two of us. And we often like met there to figure out, like, all right, what kind of what we want to do for the day, what's the mood? Yeah, what's the mood? And um, one day we were out there and this playground was like very, very painted, like just red and blue. But the way it was painted was like just looking at it. It just it just beckoned that you can we were staring at it and you'd, you'd see it and you'd be like, man, you know, the way they've painted everything red, you can start on this side of the playground and end up over there if you stay only on the red and it just like, you can see Mm -hmm. all the transitions and same thing with the blue, but it required like just something different. Different, Yeah. Blue is most of like the bottom level of the playground, whereas red was like the top end. Mm -hmm. So there's like, Oh, if you go red, you're kind of like traversing above everything and, you know, going blue, you're like kind of climbing under and around things. So we just started doing that and, um, you know, it was fun. Mm -hmm. So we were doing it again, you know, day or so later and, you know, after about, I don't know, two weeks of doing by this point we had just called it jumping around. Right. Like that's I sent him a text message and being, Hey, you wanna hey, meet you up, wanna up jump park? around? Yeah, we called it Park B. It was called Park Boulevard <laughs> in Ocean Township, New Jersey. Um <laughs> we call it Park B. Uh and it was really funny because we'd be like, oh, let's go jump around. And um, you know, about a couple <laughs> weeks after that, he uh we were talking, he was like, Hey, you know, there's There's a local gymnastics, like right down the building. He's like, we should totally go there and learn some flips and we can practice more parkour. And that was the first time I'd heard that word. Mm. But it's funny because like, you know, like I was like parkour at first. So my back up a little bit there too. my preferred style of music is like, um, like hardcore metal. (laughs) And so it was his. So when he said parkour, I thought he was making like a wordplay on the word hardcore because we were messing around <laughs> in a park. Right. No, like legitimately, right, right, right. I, I we were just messing around in a park, and I thought he was, you know, doing a wordplay there, and and I, I made a joke like oh, that was really clever. Word. He's like, no, that's 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 a thing. That's what we're doing. <laughs> this is a thing. And I'm like, why? So you know, you get on YouTube, and um, and it turns out that I, I had been exposed to the media of it, but just never the word. Um, I'm sure you've seen the classic Russian jumper video yes, yes. that started like somewhere mm-hmm. in the early 2000s. And I had seen that, I think like 2007 is when I first had yeah, seen that. I think
1: that. that's Alexi. Is that
0: Alexi? Is that no, that's, um. oh my gosh, I know the name and it's... Oh.
1: Skip it. It'll come to you in a minute. Keep going. It so is, you, so you see a YouTube um, video, it'll pop in there. It's Oleg.
0: Your, will, uh, yes. Oleg. It's Oleg. Yeah. Should out of that? time. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So I get on YouTube and look it up and I'm like, oh yeah, I totally have seen this. Didn't know it called parkour. And I was like, oh, yeah, it looks so cool. Right up the alley. You see people doing flips, obviously. That's like, for a lot of people, that's that initial draw. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, let's let's check it out. And, um, yeah, just started doing that. And then, you know, a couple weeks after that, I moved. <laughs> <laughs> Reboot. Yeah. So, yeah, so I came out to Asheville, North Carolina. Never been to North Carolina. So I got here in a U-Haul. Was pretty surprised that there were big mountains here, too. Uh, <laughs> they yeah, kinda, they, they come at you quick. It's they like, do. It's flat. And then, oh. And uh, when we first got here, we were kind of like an in-between place for two months, about an hour south of Asheville proper, and um, it was very rural. <laughs> it was just mountains, rural, nothing else going on. So, like that first like initial two months, I did find one local gymnastics gym, and I just kind of wanted to keep up what I had already started in New Jersey a little bit. And so I started doing that, and then I moved into Asheville like proper, like near the downtown area, and just you know, wanted to see if I could find a parkour community out here. Couldn't find one. But I am pretty okay with just taking on challenges on my own. Yeah. You know, I mean if, it's you, more, wait, if it's you wait it's around more fun for when people, you have a
1: bit of a click. But yeah, if he's not here, yeah. I'll just start and somebody'll show up.
0: Yeah, and that yeah. was kind of the hope. And um that's kinda of actually what ended up happening is I was in downtown Asheville, just kind of jumping around in like the main park downtown. It's called Splashville. For those who have been to my annual jam that I host every year here, we—that's the place where we train, it's where Fame we hold gym, our, right? yeah, it's where we hold our um, style competition and all that. And I was jumping around there, and this gentleman Terry came up to me and was just like, "Hey, you doing parkour?" I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, excited. Yeah, like, are you into it too? Because I need somebody to jump with." <laughs> and uh, he was like. You know, I I just started this uh, parkour class at this gym. It happened to be in downtown. It was a national gymnastics was the name of the gym at the time. And he's like, I just started this class. There's like three, maybe four kids there on a good day. It's like one day a week kind of class. And he's right. like, you should totally come by, check out this class. He's like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> he's like, I need somebody to come behind me. And I was like, well, you know, I'm kind of yeah figuring know, this out I don't know myself. Either, right? so yeah, I'm just. <laughs> I, about I, I'm only a few months in. I don't even know if I know, but but let me check it out. And I go there, and then I really realize what he wanted was he needed somebody to help coach mm-hmm. that he felt like knew more than he did. And I didn't think I knew a lot then, but I knew marginally more. Mm. <laughs> And yeah, so I started start showing up to classes and start helping out of coaching. And then, and I have a very analytical mind. Like I'm very drawn to things that are like more technical. Like I like things that are thought provoking. Yeah.
1: I noticed your footwork. Like I only, I can't watch everything, but from the little bits I watched, there were like, okay, there's flips that are like, you have like a way you like sign with a flourish. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but there's a ton of like, wait, what there what? there was one with like, car tires and there was like a little criss It's it was just like okay you're into
0: precise and analytical thought <laughs> it's funny that exact clip you're talking about with the with the tire thing I was in Long Island at that when that clip was filmed and um, about two days before that clip I was doing a warm-up precision like and it had to have been a three-foot jump I mean you could probably step across it <laughs> it was like a <sighs> foot off the ground too but I was warming up and I was like, oh, let me, I could just land on like, how much on the tip of my toes can oh. I get on this edge? And my foot slipped and I shin the wall and I ended up getting five s- stitches inside my yeah. leg and nine staples on the outside. And three days or two days later, two or that three, sequence. I was filming that sequence. And it's funny because I was very scared to put pressure on um, like to use my, that leg that had the staples. I was afraid the muscle would flex and like Ugh. rupture a staple or something. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I stuck with it anyways. Um, but yeah, I like, I like things that are thought provoking and technical and I love developing processes and systems. And in high school, I was, I mean, I did sports on high school. My main thing was I was a wrestler. I was actually pretty good at times. I'd placed in national tournaments. Um, and then right before my senior year of high school, I had a major shoulder surgery. Hmm. And I just couldn't really bounce back, back from that. Yeah. And I had it like way too close to my senior year. And so my senior year of athletics was pretty, uh, pretty lackluster, hmm. but that was another reason I kind of drawn me into like wanting to get into some form of movement. Cause I'd always done it. You know, I did wrestling in high school. I pole vaulted as well. I was on state championship team for a minute there with pole vaulting. Um, and then I just did soccer as an in-between sport thing just to kind of keep me moving. So after a couple of years of not really being in a very dedicated, like kind of regiment where you train and you're working skills, I was just started getting curious and wanting to find movement again. So when I linked up with Terry in this parkour class, it's to start to get the gears turning where I was like, okay, like, you know, I've done sports my whole life. There's, there's drills, there's training, there's technique, there's yes. standards. Like surely this has have to have, like we'll have all something, things. right? Right. So I just started just really hammering in like, okay, what are skills that I feel like are basic in parkour? So like things like rolling and your vaults and just general like wall work, like caddy and <laughs> yep. you know climbing, like wall tech and things like that. And then I just really started to break it down to like the lowest level. Like even if I understood the motion, I was like, that's not good. I got to break it down further. Cause there's always someone that needs it broken down below a level that you needed it for. Mm -hmm. And I think that's always the mark of a good coach is when you can break down a skill and explain it to a level that you didn't need it broken down for you to understand it. And I think that's where a lot of like, you know, as far as athletes across any sport who are like really well accomplished, they, tend to not be the best coaches because they were so natural. They could just pick up on things. They didn't need to like have things broken down. So they have a hard time breaking that down for Mm -hmm. people who start at a lower point than them. So I started just thinking on drills like, okay, what can I do to get these kids in shape? Like what kind of progressions can I create to get them to the goals that they were having? And I, I think I really needed a project to throw myself at. As Mm -hmm. I was saying, I was in this like transition point in my life where I didn't really have, I had an option to go down like schooling for free, um, you know, probably could have been much better financially off by now if I had stuck with that. Um,
1: <laughs> Parkour you know, and rock and,
0: climbing, how's it working right, out for you? Right, yeah, you, you? you know, oh, I'm just going to drop out of school to go jump on things and mm-hmm. yeah, I got a lot of interesting um, opinions about that decision, <laughs> but... But, you know, it felt right. So I stuck with it. Yeah,
1: there's, it's important that you figure out how to keep your, you know, how to keep the passion going. Like if it's, if you know it's going to be a slog, then nursing isn't going to be your thing. So I think that's pretty wise early on. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first day that you were out on Real Rocks? Like how did you, do you, do you are you, uh, I just started scrambling. And then one day I went and I bought an ATC and then <laughs> I bought two carabiners and a cam. Or like, where did you start for real? Or somebody took you out?
0: Or? Well, it's kind of so it's it started more of just like training parkour you know like obviously and then being that i live in the mountains really drawn the nature and just exploring so it really started with scrambling as far as like getting into like actual dedicated technical rock climbing that's probably only been about a year everything else has been like you know messing around bouldering things that kind of came when i was training parkour mm-hmm. rather than but you know when you mess around on the cliffs for you know the last decade there's only there's got to come a point where you start getting curious about oh, the, okay. about the vertical oh, parts right. yeah so oh. and and that curiosity finally peaked for me right around the time where I competed on World Chase Tag last year congrats uh, so yeah, yeah that was a really 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 cool time so yeah, when I got back from Roll Chase Tag, I was kind of looking for a little bit of a break, but also another way to keep challenging myself and you know climbing is such a cross discipline. Yeah. So yes, indeed. And I was like, let me just get out there and start. So and I learned really quick, like, okay, I need to actually have like more <laughs> gear. And then and then you know like with like trad climbing, it's so much more technical. And as I said, I'm really into things that require a lot of thought and mm. um, yes. system development. Trad
1: climbing definitely scratches my. My, uh, I don't know, my analytical itch, mm-hmm. you know, the, the guy that I climb with most often is like, you know, inches or miles. Like sometimes he's like, can you figure out how to get one quarter of an inch? I'm like, well, I could, you know, change which toe I'm standing on and shift my hips. And oh, oh, I found a grab, you know, and like, and so it does force you to like run a microscopic you know, check of everything. And I don't teach people to climb, but when I talk about it, the people, you know, when we're out climbing, I'll, I'll be like, have you touched, you know, like yelling up, have you touched everything you can reach? You know, like <laughs> check it all. And then in fact, cause there's so much within, you know, the Vitruvian arm and leg
0: wingspan, so many opportunities. Unless you're on a blank billboard, in which case, oops. So it's funny with uh, nine years of parkour training before like, you know, really being like, I'm going to, you know, call myself a rock climber mm-hmm. and do it pr- do it properly. I kind of got to skip the whole route finding learning curve that mm. you're describing because, you know, in parkour, you're just looking for things that aren't there in architecture. Yeah. You know, you're taking something that was built with a designated purpose and completely putting your own purpose against it. So when it came to like, you know, climbing and route finding, like you were describing, it was pretty straightforward mm. for me. Cool. Because by then I kind of had a pretty solid idea of what I think I'm capable of. And I know like you know what features look like so what is your
1: i'm not going to try to put this question but i understand that there's some sort of relationship between you and the state about like the pulse of what's going on in the mountains and i'm just wondering like how what's up with that like how what is that relationship and how like what are the kinds of questions that they ask you
0: what do you mean by like a relationship with the state well i
1: don't i my understanding was that there are people that ask you your opinion about what's going on in the mountains and what's the status of. Maybe I'm completely wrong.
0: Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess it would depend here from. Um, it's a couple things that come to mind about your question. Is um, I, I'm definitely it's so hard to talk about yourself if I'm feeling like <laughs> you're putting yourself on a pedestal, you know. But just talk about um, Ryan in the third person. Yeah, right. People, a very large. Portion of people in this area know me and refer to me as like a guru and someone who knows the mountains very well. Yeah. So I'm, um, I'm often asked like all the time, like, okay, like if you need to go from here to here, how would you do that? Cause I know you're good at like route finding. I know mm. you're good at, you know, bushwhacking and developing routes from like cliff to cliff or wherever, or people just ask me all the time where all this hidden stuff is. Cause I've spent a lot of time off trail and, right. you know, I used to think all, you know, anything that was worth seeing had a trail to it
1: <laughs> unless we haven't found it yet in uh, which case yeah. there's
0: no trail <laughs> yeah and um there is a lot of things that are that have no trail to it
1: yeah that there's, are worth going to well i saw hundreds of square miles of stuff just on my zip by on the highway and every mm-hmm. little nook and cranny and it, it never done a couple of things in the red river gorge where my friend and i drove you know and we're like we're trying to follow the, you know, we get like some like little one sentence description in the book and then we're at Miguel's and we're like, does anybody know where this is? And they're like, oh yeah, I go out and make two lefts and a right. And then there's, you know, there's a pullout. <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's unique. And stop by the tree. Yeah, right, exactly. We, <laughs> we managed to find the pullout and then, and then it's like, well, there should be a trail across the street. And I'm like, what year was the book printed, you <laughs> know? So we found the trail, but I think we were the first people to whack up that trail in in like ten years. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was it was completely overgrown. We kept occasionally we found like a water bar or something. We're like, where you could see people had put effort and they're moving a rock. Like, okay, this was definitely intended to be a trail. And then we hiked all the way to the top, and it was like this, like a cul-de-sac. And we walk up to uh, I'm not I've I'm trying to avoid becoming a geologist because i do not need (laughs) another hobby with a million things so it was this gorgeous i would guess granite really dark rock and it was kind of leaned back and a little slabby and i'm looking at it like oh this is interesting and mike like taps me on the shoulder and and he like points up you know i hadn't i hadn't done the 90 degree i look up and it's like this overhang we're standing under it was like three you know, three pitches high, so I don't know, maybe 150, 160 feet or something. It's this huge thing. And there are trees growing on the part that's sticking way out. And then I realized all around us, you know, like in the woods are these giant blocks of, I think it was sandstone from the top. You know what I mean? That's when you realize that geology is really slow, but that block fell on some day, you know, and and then like, when's the last time it rained, you know? Because if it was yesterday, I don't want to be here. So we spent like the whole day climbing there in this thing. And it was. It was like walking into another world. And when we like whacked up the trail and like stepped out to the base of the, of the cliff, it was just like, oh. And then we spent the whole day there, like, you know, maybe a hundred yards on, on all the sides. And there were just a couple of little notes in the book about different things. So there's, and we had no clue because we're walking in the woods. So you can't, you can't even see it. I think as we were driving to the valley, we might've saw the, that feature. But
0: once we were in the woods, there was no clue it was there. So how do you- And that's, and that's what makes it great about- that- personally that's what i love about the mountains. I mean, as i said, you know, growing up in new jersey on the beach, it's one I'll be honest. i'm i'm not the i'm not the biggest fan of swimming in the ocean. it's a little intimidating. <laughs> i'm i'm a little intimidated by the ocean, <laughs> especially
1: in new jersey. i would yeah,
0: yeah no. it's just yeah, i don't, don't want to come out of a third arm or, <laughs> or something like that and needles stuck in my eye. yeah, yeah, needles stuck in my eye. but you, you know, you go on the side of a mountain and, you know, you can operate in a quarter mile radius and spend days and days just seeing all these different things so do you and go back
1: to the, like do you do that do you like go there this is my current spot that i'm scoping out and like do you do you sketch like do you take notes or do you just jam it all in your head or like how do you well so first of all when you want to I'm going to say get acquainted with an area. What, what exactly do you do? Like the whole process? Like, how do you decide this is an area I want to explore? Do you like a topo map? Like what's the whole process
0: for finding and then getting to know an area? So good question. Multifaceted answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it all just depends what my goal is. Um, you know, if, I'm really big into waterfalling as well. You know, I've spent a few years here recently really on this kick. There's a small, like, handful community of people around here who love documenting previously undocumented waterfalls, making them publicly known, Hmm. and then naming it. (laughs) That's kind of their end goal, I think, is for the naming process and the naming rights. Um, So when it comes to, like, waterfalling, yeah, I would look at a topo map, and I would just start looking for where those lines start pinching really close together, and if there's a blue creek going over it, right? And you know, as those lines start getting closer, you know the terrain's getting Steep. more and more vertical. Man. And if there's a blue line going over, there's a really solid chance that there's gonna be a waterfall there. Some people will, you know, pull up like Google Earth and try to get like a satellite view on it. And uh, sometimes I used I did that originally in the beginning, but. I don't. I just like the unknown aspect of it too. You know, so I'll see a spot on the map, and then I'll immediately like you know zoom out on the map and start looking around, like okay, where can I access this from?
1: That's what I was gonna say what's the farthest roughly that you can remember. What's the farthest from like I had to park over here that you've gone in? Because I, I don't really have a sense of how. You know, there are places in Maine where, like, if you go the wrong way, you're going to run out of food and water before you get to anything. And I have, I have no sense of how big the open, undeveloped spaces are here. So, like, what's the farthest you regularly go from, you know, a parking spot?
0: It's very easy to go double-digit miles. Okay. It's very easy. It's very – I've been on, like, seven, eight miles of pure bushwhacking. Hmm. Like, just pure route finding, crawling through rhododendron <laughs> and dog hobble. And doing miles of that is not fun. I don't know
1: what dog hobble is, but I'm guessing the name is a hint. Yeah. Thorns.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, it's, it's like rhododendron. They're just low hanging trees that like, you know, you, you imagine, you know, a secret agent trying to work his way through like laser wire. (laughs) And that's what you're doing in the woods for, you know, seven miles. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, so you just find a spot and, you know, going back to, like I said, I like technical, I like thinking, I like thought provoking. So I'll zoom out and be like, okay, this is where I want to go. Where's the nearest like public access land? And, you know, how can, are there any trails that I can at least use to get close? <laughs> go three you know? miles, then
1: turn left to right. right.
0: Yeah. And then just at this point in the trail, you just dive off the trail and just go down this embankment. And then obviously you're going to do things like ne- negotiating cliffs and navigating that kind of terrain, mm. which... Generally when it comes to waterfalling, if you're exploring a creek, it's a little easier to go upstream, bottom up, because you can judge how to scramble from the bottom up a lot easier. Yep. Down climbing is a little harder. Uh yeah, especially if you don't see the entire down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um but sometimes sometimes there is no access from the bottom. Sometimes, you know, access from the top is the most the more right. feasible way. And uh, a lot of times you just don't know what you're gonna do until you get there. And that's what I like too, is that unknown exploration where you're like, okay, I have a destination, but how I'm going to get there is just going to be dictated on what I encounter along the way. So I've, I've made a lot of waterfalls public and actually one of them. So, you know, I'm sure you've heard with hiking, there's trail names, right? Yeah. So people in Western, Western North Carolina kind of gave me a trail name and it's mountain cat because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm always just bouncing around the trails, just running down rivers, rock hopping. Cause I used it as a training ground for parkour. So that's what people who don't train parkour that I hang out with and, you know, go out in ventures with, that's what people call me. And there's one in South Carolina, the upstate South Carolina, so really close to the border of North Carolina. Um, It's like a 55-foot waterfall. It's got like a nice vertical free-falling section with like a grotto behind it and like a really nice, beautiful, undisturbed spray community of moss which is spray communities and moss are pretty rare, sensitive yeah. ecosystems. And they're very like specific to like that's that place mm-hmm. oftentimes have rare plants there as well. Um, and I made that public and it was really pretty. And a lot of people, that knew me started going and then they just started calling it mountain cat falls. And then like, I don't know, like a year or two after that, after like a bunch of people started going, I was uh, looking at my mapping app, which I use Gaia GPS and that's what most people use. It's pretty good. Yeah. Use Gaia GPS. Gaia, if you hear this, sponsor me. Um, (laughs) And then I looked at it one, you know, I was, I was looking at that waterfall and at some point, it got named. It, it got named Mountain Cat Falls and like with a legitimate icon on it. And now I'm, you know, hiking groups I'm a part of on social media. I'll see people go there that I don't you know who they are mm. and they talk about it as Mountain Cat Falls. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> that's neat. It's kind of yeah. cool to have a
1: mark. It's neat to see. Um, well, the fruit of your labor, it's also, I mean, on one hand, you know, you're risking, you know, wherever, wherever people go, the ecology gets whacked. But you, one hand, you're risking that. the other hand, you it's the opportunity to share that with them so they can see it and experience it.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty complicated subject as far as like off trail hiking yes. and bushwhacking goes, you know, impact is a big thing, you know, leave no trace. I'm really, especially here recently in the last couple of years, I've been very heavily involved with wanting to get involved with more like um, managing impact. And I've been doing a lot of uh, trail work volunteering here in the last like, year or two as well when I can. Um, hmm. I think all that's kind of important to give back. So yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it's a complicated subject of impact, and I think the best way I can whittle that down, and I think a lot of people tend to agree with this, is bringing things to the public attention always is a double edged sword. You right. know, like you said, you're gonna. Right. Yeah, I think you know people should <clears throat> see these things. You know, I think they're beautiful; they're worth seeing. I think the more places people know about and can spread out to, will lessen impact in a singular spot. That's a good point, yeah. But also, as more people visit places, it just tends to get ruined with time yeah there's also the aspect of
1: well where is this place you know like Mm -hmm. if the place is more than a half mile you know that people aren't going to go there just for random to make out what beer cans like it's a little far to go stomping because we get out at nine and then we're like it's too far right you know so if it's if it's a mile and a half on some trail then you know first of all that at least people aren't going to show up in flip-flops usually and so that's like, the sounds like that one is not, you know, right next to the road or people would have seen it. So there's also a balance to, if it's not super accessible, it
0: keeps it under control. Exactly. And that's, and yeah, you nailed it. That's what I was about to say is typically people who respect nature and are stewards of it will not put in the effort of bushwhacking. Yeah. Like if it's hard to get to, it's, There's no trail. You got to find it. You're going to be crawling under rhododendron dog Yeah, they're not going to go. You might have to negotiate like a cliff and scramble down steep gullies. Like people who are willing to put in that kind of effort respect it. Yeah. They do their best to follow. Where's the cairn? Oh,
1: we're going this way. Or, you know, where's the stuff that doesn't slough off? Right. Um, It's the roadside stuff that just always gets the worst kind of attention. Yeah. I've only ever done one honest to God bushwhack. (laughs) It's my rock climbing friend again. we like... We camped at the extreme uh, eastern edge of Rocky Mountain National Park, right in Estes Park. And when you're in the campground and you look to the east, there are these two. There's a McGregor Slab, it's this beautiful thing on the north side, and um, Deer Ridge Buttress is on the south side, and it just like sticks up. And apparently it had been climbed so that we decided we were going to try this. So we got up at like, oh, dark, 30 in the morning before sunrise. And we're in the middle of a campground. Right, the Alpine start. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Oh, you know that. So Mike's like, Alpine start. we we'll jam all our stuff in our bags. And it's basically head for the pointy silhouette where there are no stars, you know, like you just look for the place which you don't see the sky. And we like tiptoeing through people's campsites because we need to go directly. You need to go that way. And then it was like climbing over split rail fences and walking through like, you know, waist deep grass. And you've like, you can't see anything. And then it was just a bushwhack through the talus field of trees and you. When I tell people the story, I mean, you're like, yes, how can I go? But everybody else (laughs) in the world is like, what is wrong with you? I mean, I was, and this is, you're in Colorado, so I don't know, we were probably maybe at like 7,000 feet or something. So I'm already like, (laughs) the whole way, soaked in sweat. I wasn't in the greatest shape, still aren't. And I have all this gear, you know, everything for a whole day. I, I think I had the rope. He had all the, all the climbing trad gear, but... When we got out of the tree line, it's just the trees don't grow where the real rockets. When we came out of the tree line, Mike had intentionally timed it perfectly. I swear we were there for like a minute and a half, and the sun came up. So we have all these photos of just just being at the base, you know, and like taking the picture of like this is actually the thing that either, you know, like in your case, I thought would be here. Or like in our case, we had been staring at him with binoculars from like two miles away. (laughs) We're like that, that, oh my God, that's a thing. And he's like, is that, is that a crack? You know? And it was, there was like an 80 foot hand jam crack that went basically five, eight, you know, like up the front.
0: You had me at Talus field. Yeah, You really had me at hand crack. It was beautiful. (laughs) And
1: I really wish I could have climbed five, eight that day, but no, it didn't, we didn't manage to go up, but you know, I'm, for people who may not have ever had the chance, and they're thinking, "Why would you? What are you like?" Like, huh? Get up, you know. It is one thing it, that it's one thing to like go up a trail, you know. You're like, yeah, me and twelve thousand people have seen this view. But when you when you actually have to decide, you know, like, oh man, look at this scramble. All right, this one will go left. Next scramble will go right. You know, so you're kind of going in a straight line or around this or yeah, it looks like a bear cave. Let's go around that. You know, all these things. But when you get there, even for the view which is pretty much all we got (laughs) because Craig waved off. (laughs) It was unbelievable. And then we're like standing there on the thing called stagway. There's like a shoulder, a sloped shoulder at the base of the actual climbing. So we were like below this little fall and then we like went around, it was actually a pillar, something like like out of devil's tower. There was this pillar, which we seriously contemplated just climbing the pillar. And we went around that and up and I have a photo of you know, those little wooden, it looks like a house. It's a square sign with a little pointed top. And then they put little notes
0: in it, you know, mm-hmm. like. Yeah, a little info
1: kiosk. Yeah, a little info kiosk. And the thing was like six inches square. And the post that it was on was like on a 45 degree angle because the talus field has been moving, you know, since that's like this thing's on an angle. Uh, cool. And the sign is completely gone. And it probably said something like, you know, danger, fall hazards ahead. Because there was, you <laughs> right. know, and like serious rock climbers only gear required. But the sign is the paper's gone. It's just like this empty thing. Like there should be a warning there and the post is on an angle. I took a picture of it. Like that's the best warning I have ever seen. It's like, it's, it's so dangerous here. They didn't even come back to replace this sign. <laughs> nice, yeah. <laughs>
0: the sign isn't even maintained, but I mean, I, even the sign can't stand up for long there.
1: Yeah, exactly. It was just everything, you know, and mm-hmm. like, as you're moving, things are all crawling and we're, we're purposely ascending on a, like, you know, an offset echelon. So the stuff he's knocking down is <laughs> falling on me. And then once we got up on the upper part, it was just solid rock and there were trees up there and a little bit of grass and a, a nice tumble home, but you <laughs> know, it was a nice big area. I'm off on a tangent, but what I wanted to say was like, I was trying to like explain to people like the feeling you get, and I'm guessing you have the same way, the feeling you get when you actually go like, oh, it's actually here, like the thing I was looking for.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said about, um, you know, as far as like bushwhacking and like you said, you get to this this challenge essentially in front of you, which is like, OK, I need to scramble up this gully or this cliff. It's like, OK, which way I'm going to go? Yeah. And, you know, everybody's going to see that differently and everybody's going to have their own agency to decide what makes sense for them and how they want to proceed. And I think there's something to be said about the the reward value you get from like finding your own route. Yeah, and then like you said especially like if you're aiming for a specific destination that you're not even sure what you're going <laughs> to find when you get there but <laughs> and get don't the, get me wrong don't get me wrong I've I've gone I've put in some pretty hard days to go to what I thought was going to be a very rewarding waterfall and get there and it is just like sad oh it's like oh it's like a brook at best you know what <laughs> I mean or it's like oh this would be a really cool drop but there is no water flow on this creek because I'm so high up and that was, that was a learning curve I had there too is um you know as you get Higher up on the mountain, you get closer to the headwaters, and yes. obviously, water's not going to be as strong flowing up mm. at the top of the headwaters.
1: <laughs> and the blue line is the same width on the map, no matter what. Uh, you know, yeah, water they, may run here.
0: There's no there's no step by step book for that. So, yeah. <laughs> cool. um, but that's really waterfall. and When it comes to like you know, I mean, a lot of a lot of adventuring too is like you said when you're driving up, you see all these peaks, and sometimes you'll you'll just see a big rocky exposed summit or or an outcropping of some kind, and you know, I'll, if I see it, if I can at least make a mental note where it is, I'll try to remember. But if I can, like, pull out my map, I'll, like, throw out a waypoint to where I think right. it's going to be. And then, you know, just be like, hey, one day I'm going to figure out how to get up there. <laughs> here's
1: where I am and here's the bearing. I can right. find it, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have on my on my GPS app, I have probably like, at least 2,000 waypoints of, like, potentially something cool. <laughs> So like oh, when I'm, when I'm bored, workout. I'll like, I'll look, I'll just pick up what oh I want to do today. I'll go on my phone and just like search that and then see all these different things of like random little projects I've had where I'm like, Oh, what's up there and huh. what's over here. But yeah, it's, it's, it's like, so it's a lot of times too, it could be just looking at maps, uh, t- topography maps. Um, sometimes just, you just see it the same thing when like you're training parkour, you're walking around the city and. You find a spot all of a sudden.
1: This is what I was fishing for. It's like, so yeah. we all know, I mean, not we all, but a lot of people know what parkour vision is. And there's mm-hmm. definitely a, well, there's rock climbing vision. There's like, I don't want to say bushwhacking vision, but there's like mountain exploration vision. And even if you're going to do aid climbing, it's there's just, yes, that, that peak looks interesting. Mm-hmm. Have you do you have any good, I love to collect stories. Do you have any good stories where it was like, you work really hard and you're on the wrong, you know, like, oh, it's the next one over, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, not, not the next Ridge over. However, I do have a very funny, like, Oh, I'm going to go this waterfall. I'm looking at a map thinking that like, how come I've never heard of a, a waterfall on this Creek? There's gotta be one. Like, it's super obvious. I mean, it's like, oh, it's, we look at the topography and you're like, this has got to be a 150 foot waterfall. <laughs> and I was like, Oh I'm I'm going to go check it out. You know, I got, I got an afternoon to myself and whatever, so I'm gonna go check it out. And I go over there and I really botched it. I misread which direction the the water was flowing. <laughs> so I here I was thinking, you know, I'm gonna come up this creek and come to the base of this massive waterfall. And what Man, I ended up doing was I got to the I came to the top of this massive waterfall and got cliffed out. Oh. <laughs> I was just up there. Like, yeah, so the water's not going the direction I thought it was going to go. <laughs> and I was like, well, maybe I can start scrambling down. So I probably make it like between like kind of scrambling on fourth clashes terrain on, on rocked and just dipping out into the woods when, you know, to like, because the roto, rotos make good handholds. It's so dense. that's right, like, right. it's hard to like fall through it all. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like, sometimes it's so dense you can walk on top of it. Mm. Just walk on the top of the canopy. Ooh. But, yeah, I probably made it, like, 50 feet down between, you know, going diving in the woods, getting out on a rock when I could. And I just kind of got, like, too cliffed out. And I was just really straddling that line of comfort. And, you know, and I've had this bad habit of, like, no one really knows where I'm at in the woods. I was going to
1: ask, like, <laughs> do you have a, do you have an have I don't know if you use e on land. That's a sailing thing. But, yeah, do you have a – do you carry a – I'm guessing there's a national beacon for
0: No, I don't have any emergency like SOS type beacons. It's actually been on my short list as I've gotten into more technical type adventures, like rope work type stuff. Mm. That's kind of been something where I feel there's more of a need for that. When it's just like kinda, you know, off trail scrambling, exploring. Yeah, I, I feel pretty confident that nothing's gonna happen for the most part. Like I said, I I had a bad habit of not telling people where I was going.
1: <laughs> have you just changed kind of, this habit? Cause I might recommend telling people yeah, where you're going. Yeah. There.
0: Typically, typically I'll let my girlfriend now
1: What's going to say, at least leave a lat <laughs> long and you know, yeah. what time you should be checking back in.
0: Yeah. Uh, but people just expect that of me. Like it's not uncommon that I, you know, I tell people all the time and I take about one to three business days to respond to like text <laughs> messages and emails and <laughs> you know, know, I'm just I out noticed. doing stuff. <laughs> you know, it's just, it is what it is. Um, you know, I have a running joke with, um, with my significant other right now. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of times where, like, she makes this joke that she halfway expects I just don't come back on any weekend day. Like, <laughs> I might just go out for an adventure, and solid chance I might just like she might just get a text at some Overnight. random point. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, I'm just gonna stay. It's been so good out here. I'm just like, I'm just gonna stay the <laughs> night, <laughs> <laughs> having a great time, I'm just gonna keep it going. Yeah, I brought a bivy
1: <laughs> sack and some water. I'm good. I have a power bar or three.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's 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 definitely how that goes.
1: <laughs> Was there anything on your mind that you were thinking about? You know, leading up to me arriving over here that you were wondering or that you wanted to talk about or questions? You uh
0: know? Yeah, I was just kind of thinking about like kind of chronicling really briefly, like kind of my journey and where it started. And we kind of touched upon it in, in New Jersey. And then when I moved out to Asheville, I started picking up that class. And then I really started. That's when my my, my brain shifted to like more of a coaching mentality. Where I was like, okay, I can develop like progressions for different like where, where different students are at physically and mentally with their skills and then as i started doing that and the class before i took it over it wasn't that it wasn't structured well it just i, I think the i mean the instructor said he didn't really know parkour so he just didn't really he knew like very basic things but didn't know how to like keep progressing skills mm-hmm. you know like able to teach people like a step fold. Or, you know, a Kong bowl. and But then after that, it's like, I don't know what other parkour skills are out there. You know, and then at that point, I was starting to learn a little bit of acrobatic, which most most students in, in a parkour class, that's what the majority of them yeah. are after. Yeah, is with the, the flashy agro. stuff, yeah. right? Yeah, and I understand. It's, it's the flashy stuff. So, yeah, I, I started shifting that. And, you know, probably about within six months. Yeah, it was about six months of when I took over that class. We went from one class a week... You know, like I said, might've had four kids on it on a really good day to, I was having classes with up to 40 kids in it and Mm -hmm. I was the only coach and we're in like a really small, like if for all the people who have taught parkour in a gymnastic gym, you always know you get some really small corner (laughs) in the very back. um, And here you you, get
1: the broken balance beam. You get the
0: broken balance beam. You can't touch that, can't touch that or that. But run a parkour class. And uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> Thanks, luckily, guys. yeah, yeah. We had a very small section, like a downstairs section. It was like 20 by 20. We had like one box that was like that the owner of the gym built before I got there. It was like something mm-hmm. he designed mm-hmm. to have like a eight foot slant wall on one side, a little cut out in the middle that I, I guess he thought maybe someone would die roll through at one point, uh, <laughs> but it wasn't like very feasible to do. But yeah, it was a very like minimal setup. But anyways, I took basically nothing and then got to this point where you know I was having classes up to 40 students at one point and then at this point too you know the original group of kids I had started working with six months prior where their skill sets were way above a lot of kids who were just coming in
1: right so now we have to split the classes so now right.
0: we yeah so then I parlayed to and at this point too as they saw attendance rising and the gym at that time the owners were really great they really saw like what I was doing and they really saw how I was able to build and develop the program and they were super supportive. Of Like once it started taking off. And also I just never complained about anything like all their other coaches did. <laughs> you know, I'm just there. It was like, yeah, you know, it was-just was another just, obstacle. Yeah, right. it was just a part-time thing I was doing inside. I was just happy to have a place to train. Yeah. You know, and I was- you so, gonna pay me? Hot damn. Man. Yeah, right. Yeah. You <laughs> paid like eight bucks an hour, but it's okay.
1: Yeah, that's um, pizza money, it adds yeah, up. There you go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I was just happy to have a space to train. I was happy to Start having people to train with, you know, because like I said, I didn't have anybody to train with. And
1: Did you, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you get to start sifting through all the people, you know, all the people in the area. and like, who is interested in the thing and comes to the class to look? Who stays for one? Did you find anybody else that came to those classes that you became fast friends with or fast parkour training partners? Oh, yeah. Or-
0: yeah, definitely a handful of uh, people. For sure. And actually, um, as the classes got bigger, I moved up some of those people to like assistant coaching and stuff. And the trade-off was and it worked out for them. It's, you know, a lot of these high school kids, you know, they're paying out of their own pocket for the class. And some of them I was able to work out deals where it's like, hey, you know, I need help in our beginner level class. You know, if you're willing to come in, you know, in this day to help out, you can stay for the classes for free. You can stay after the classes are done and train with me in the gym for mm. however long we want to stay. At one point, they just kind of gave me a key and they didn't care if I stayed to like midnight training. <laughs> you're making money. Here's the key, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it got to the point where the classes got split, where I was able to set up like a, a true beginner's class where I can really start like vetting people as they come into the program. And just a place where I can get down basic skills so they can be safe to be in a more open training style format and we see that now of loud parkour gyms um they got to make sure like to go to their open gym you have like a minimal set of skills right um and that's what that beginner class was for me at that time and that started just filling up all the time too so it turned out that we ended up setting two we went from one class like four kids and six months later we had two beginner classes that had at least 30 kids in it, each class every class every week and then a uh, two intermediate classes and then I think it wasn't about six months, but probably shortly thereafter, within the year, though, I had an advanced level class, which was basically the people who, at this point, their students I had trained up that were probably that were surpassing me in skills at this point, and they were already like developing their own personal goals and things that they wanted to individually train, work on, and. Those are the people that I would train with outside. So Mm -hmm. I basically just kind of set up a quote unquote advanced level where it was just like an open gym for the people that I can actually train with and I can work my skills with and develop with Mm -hmm. them rather than just coaching all the time and not working on myself. And that went really well. And, you know, in the gym would do, like, performances, and then the gym had a lot of involvement with the city, you know, doing, like, the holiday parades, so, and doing um, demos for schools on field trips, Mm -hmm. so we started bleeding into that, and... Anytime the gym had something come up like that, they'd always be like, Hey Ryan, you know, you're our, you're our wow factor. (laughs) Like bring a demo, right? Get the guys together, bring a demo. And we would, we would like practice like choreograph routines and like performing, doing things off each other. Um, And the more we did that around the city, just the bigger the program started getting, we're really drawing in attention. And then it kind of like, I love Asheville, but if you've ever been here, it's pretty small. And, compared to a lot of like other major cities, the opportunities for training aren't as obvious. Like we have like a couple spots that are like an actual area where there's just tons of things to do. But the vast, the vast majority of our training is like pocket spot kind of stuff, right, right. you know, like very like alleyway type things. And a lot of spots only have like a few specific challenges and we kind of starting to get to a point, pretty quickly there where we were kind of maxing out the challenges our skill sets were able to do on top of feeling like we didn't always have a lot of options and but we live in the mountains and then that's when that crossover really started to make a lot more sense it's like yeah we might not have a big downtown city but we have miles and miles of boulder choked (laughs) rivers (laughs) so it's like you know we can just run down the river and like create a car shuttle Start at one end, right, drop right. another car at the other, and we're going to time ourselves and we're going to run this whole river without like getting out of the river at any point. And we're going to do it in less than like, some, like say like an hour, you know, we'll, we'll set like a goal and a time and, you know, we'll train using the mountains because it's something unique that we have here. And that's when I really started to develop my personal style of like trying to blend the outdoor adventure to like the training of parkour and the things I enjoyed. I like, these are all things I enjoyed and I'm the type person where it's, I'm not like a one track mind for better and for worse, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Jack of all trades, master of none. none yes. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, the, I'm I always think about how I can tie my passions into each other so they can start working for each other. Hmm. I was really into, or really wanted to get into the idea of like videography and photography. So obviously videography and parkour go hand in hand. Yep. You know, jumping around in nature goes hand in hand with videography and photography. So that's where we started shifting our training to. Is like, okay, well, let's you know, like we don't have a lot of like running, you know, pre's or or setups where you could do like long stride lines in downtown, but we have miles of that on the <laughs> Two river. Miles of stride lines <laughs> yeah. over here. Yeah, I mean, just continuous stride lines, and so we would do that, and we'd start incorporating. You know, that's when we started doing like more scrambling, getting in the cliffs. There was this really, really, you know, infamous jump around the area called Pride Rock. And basically it's this mountain where you start at the bottom in a cave. It's a fisher cave series. So you go through these series of fissures deep in the mountain and you start ascending probably about like 300 feet through the mountain through a series, and it's like it's very level changing. So there comes a point where you start like not realizing you're going up, and you're squeezing through like real tight holes. Um, one of the final squeezes we call it the birthing hole because it's so tight you have to go in very specifically. It's it's left arm in first, shift your hip to the left. Like you have to to you have to move your body this exact way, or you're not going to get through the hole, or you might get stuck in a hole. <laughs> but if you go through all that, you come out onto this like overlook like three quarters of the way up the mountain that just overlooks this like beautiful Valley with a really nice Lake below. But right at the top, like of that right at the overlook, probably about six or seven feet out. So it's not a big jump is this monolithic pillar.
1: Oh, there's a piece breaking off, working its way.
0: Oh no, no, it's a freestanding pillar. It's not even attached to it. Like but I mean it would
1: have it would be moving for probably getting further over the centuries as it drifts oh, away, probably, you think? yeah, yeah it's probably like cleaving off, right? Yeah,
0: on. yeah. It's like a big monolithic pillar. The the top of it's like this flat circle spot, maybe like two and a half feet wide. Yes. Six, seven feet out. And what's the um, drop? A Couple hundred feet. Yeah. <laughs> Too far enough oh. that it doesn't matter. Oh you know? yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah, yeah. Far enough that it doesn't matter. It's 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 a it's a fatal drop for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we we first saw that, and, and, and you know, you see something like that, and it just screams. It just screams. How did you figure decree. out whether the
1: pillar was stable? Because my first thought is, you know, at some point that's going to fall over, right? So so somebody jumps on it. How much would it suck to stick the precision of like, hey, it's moving, you know? And then uh, you know, oh. it's really
0: funny. I think a lot of people who don't mess around on like real rocks just assume they're like the most solid things in the world well, I hadn't thought of that right yeah because you just don't have the experience to yeah no it. Yeah.
1: i'm i'm totally down with like sometimes yeah. this stuff is balanced there's like two mm-hmm. and a half hours for me is the Shawagunks. the gunks are so i can drive to the gunks and climb for the day and drive back nice um and then there's like a little place called peter's kill which you can go top roping which so i can set up gear and i was climbing up this one thing one day and there was a six-sided die like but it like sofa-sized, you know, like four feet on an edge. And it's this block that was sitting like inside a little, and eh, not really a chimney, but this this little niche. So as I'm climbing up, I'm, I'm, I put my hand on this thing and I'm facing the other way and I'm doing like a little stem with my feet in my hands. And when I lean on the rock, it moved, not okay. real far, just like a clunk, you know? And, and then I'm like, what just moved, you know? Like, cause it wasn't really obvious was it which hand or foot was that? And then I'm like, okay, well I'm going to undo this, you know, so I undid the move and then it went clunk. And then I realized it was my left hand and I'm like, this block moves. And so then, cause my belayer is like you know, at the bottom. Right, so right I spent it. a couple minutes like, <laughs> is it? And then we, I realized, yeah, I don't think it could come out of there, but it's was, it wasn't attached and it was just sitting there and it had a bit of a rock to it. And like a, like a, a, a rocking horse rock, not an R-O-C-K. Well, that's the same word either way, Craig. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I, I think that kind of thing, or like climbing with my friend Mike, and he'd be like, uh, "This last part's a little loose," and like, "What part?" He's like, "All of it." <laughs> like, don't you know when you like you? People think that that rock climbing is like in a gym. If anything moves, there's something wrong. You go and get the Allen wrench and you fix it. But there's lots of stuff outside where you're like, "Well, this is really easy." except that if you really pull, you could pull any one of these rocks out of the wall and it's like you grab it and you're like, eh, I only need like 40 pounds. I think it's good for 50. So I, I have to just <laughs> kind of like move through there. And yeah, so I'm guessing you guys eventually did the pride the
0: pride jump. Yeah, so we oh. looked at it and it was, yeah, pride rock is what we called it. And yeah, it, it's like I said, it's, it's very aesthetic. It's very obvious, very obvious challenge. It probably took us at least a year of just looking at it.
1: Can you get to that overlook any other way other than coming up through all the squeeze holes and stuff? No,
0: and you can't go up that way anymore either because of the the white-nose fungus syndrome for bats. Oh. All all wild caves are pretty off limits and okay. and their population was brought to the, like the realms of extinction in the last 10 years, so I do respect that. I respect like closures and nature and just, you know, the ecosystems and everything. So, unfortunately, we can't get back in there right now. Might be able to repel in from above. I've never explored that option, but mm. I'm pretty sure it could be done that way. But I, I just kind of like leaving it as this like thing that used to be, that can't be anymore. And yeah. you know, it has that like, because that status behind There it. a
1: famous rock pillar. I want to say it was like devil's pulpit or something. There's a famous rock pillar that, pillar that fell down like that somewhere. And it was this iconic thing that stood on a ridge and everybody climbed it all the time. Mm-hmm. And then it, One day it just fell over and there were people who were hiking up to it to go climb on it that day wow. and it just like fell over and like some local school kid caught it on cell phone video or something mm-hmm. um, it's like yes this stuff is I mean if you if you sped it up geolo- to, to geological time the, I mean
0: things are moving continuously the ground oh, is shifting the, the mountains are melting they're being pushed up yeah we've um here in the last couple of years we've had a lot of heavy rain in the western North Carolina area and we've had a lot of subsequent landslides hmm. And huge major like rock slides, like major ones, um, literally in the last three years. In fact, actually, just about month, maybe a month and a half ago, uh, Tropical Storm Fred came through the area, right. brought historic flooding to the area, and devastated the landscape. There's a really popular waterfall, it might have been easily the top five most popular waterfall like around the Asheville area it is one of the busiest hikes around the Asheville. it's like so busy that you just don't go there because it's just, you know you don't want to deal with you know you don't want to share herds. you don't want humanity. to share that trail with you know your four thousand closest friends <laughs> <laughs> um, especially in
1: covid right right it's yeah. really outdoors anymore Are we gotta mask up for crown alone
0: oh i mean seriously it was like that but the storm came through And it shifted the landscape so much and redirected the water and collapsed it that the waterfall doesn't exist anymore. What? Oh, wow. Like a major waterfall that was like a tourism pinnacle of the area.
1: Something collapsed and broke off and and now it's just a cascade. Yeah.
0: It's barely even a cascade now. And it used to have like a swimming pool that people would jump off like a little 8 to 10 foot rock into. Super popular. No more swimming hole. Completely gone. It's amazing. So to, to your you know, to what you're saying, like yeah, this landscape is still moving. Things are still shifting, things are still changing. I mean, I have a lot of photos of places that, you know, like from years ago, I have a photo of it. Major rockfall event has happened and no longer looks out like anymore. Uh, and have I you, have like before and afters. Have and you stuff. noticed
1: any or I don't know if you ever thought about this? Um I was just bopping around on something and people are starting to compare born before born after Before and after photos of tree lines. And one of the things that they're wondering is like, well, if things are getting a little warmer and the CO2 is getting a little bit more parts per million, the trees should be moving up the slopes. And I've seen some interesting before and after photos of like where the slopes are a little more gentle. And it's like, man, there's a lot more trees moving up, you know, moving up the slopes. I don't know. Have you noticed any of that around here? I didn't think I.
0: I don't think so. I don't think I I saw anything that wasn't
1: topped out. Like their trees go all the way to the top. Yeah,
0: our highest peaks here are just, they're like 6,600 feet. I think it's the highest. The the trees could
1: grow all the way to the top
0: then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now you have like that high elevation like um, fir type trees. Yeah. But yeah, I I don't know. But I have seen the erosion of soil go down Hmm. because it's just increased water flow as our watersheds have become more saturated over the years. But um, yeah, it's really cool to think that, you know, like a waterfall, like a legitimate like Significantly sized waterfall can just go away, yeah, because of just a day or two of heavy rains. Hmm. But yeah, so uh, with Pride Rock, once we finally made that jump, it actually became like this thing that when people would travel through the area to come train with us, it's like, oh, you got to go to Pride. Like that was the mountain adventure. <sighs> we like if you're gonna come to the area, we're gonna train. But I also got to bring you in on you some mountain adventures. You know, yeah. um, that's just always how I play host for the area. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's like, Hey, I'll show you the city, but while you're here, you, you're going to come in the mountains with me and we're going to do some stuff because mm. this is the unique thing that we offer here. And, uh, yeah, we started, so then a lot of like, um, well-known park a- parkour athletes would come and want to take on pride rock. And it, so it's been, it was a fun thing while it lasted for sure. And, uh, yeah, that's so, so we started switching our training mythology to like out here in the mountains. because we just have so much more opportunity to that. And that really had a huge impact on the style I ultimately developed where, you know, I'm very technical and I like very prefi- uh, precise, footwork and handwork as you mentioned earlier. <laughs> if you are running
1: down Boulder, now I get it. I'm like, Oh, yeah. that would, that would make your footwork be primo.
0: Yeah. Wet this rock. One's wet,
1: this one's dry. <laughs> this one's sloped the wrong way. Is that moss? You know, like, yeah. yep, yep. Yeah
0: yeah and sometimes like things look dry and not not, wet and not mossy or slick and you touch it and you take a pretty hard fall (laughs) so yeah that really and and it brought a lot of our style to like more of like a natural type movement using like animal mechanics again you're running through the woods no trail and you're coming up to a rhododendron patch and now you got all these low hanging branches that are like at your stomach waist so now you're Mm. Diving through them, vaulting, doing a vault, landing, quadrupedaling right out of it to go yeah. under another series, and so that's the really influence. Um,
1: I don't remember the exact sequence, but it was like you did like a, a fairly simple dive kong. I think there was a torpedo on a stand, which made me go, oh okay, whatever." But it 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 looked like a like a cylinder, so I'm guessing it was a torpedo. But you did like a dive kong, but when you came out of the kong, you know, here comes this brainer overhead shot from this thing you were going to go under and you transitioned from like finishing the Kong to a like lateral sideways movement. And it's a pretty simple as far as things go, like just step under with your head while shuffling to the left. But the way it was connected, I was like, okay, that was really, I mean, like, obviously you saw it before you did it, but it really showed me, like, there's no way I could do that. Like, it's just no way that I could connect those two moves together because one is perfectly forward and the other one is a completely sideways, like, deep side-to-side range of motion in the hips. And I'm like, oh, now I see where you got that from. Like, if you did that under rhododendron a couple thousand times, it would become a natural movement.
0: Yeah, well, thanks. I appreciate that. I
1: wish I could remember, like, what the video was called or where I saw it, but It was, um,
0: I know the area you talk about was actually Long Island that that specific clip you're talking mm. about I was training in an area in Long Island that um the community out there refers to as the memorial so but yeah that's that's uh that really influenced my style of movement and and I never really got too hard into like acro because there wasn't of flipping on the rivers didn't always make sense. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> flipping on the mile, edge of cliffs. Yeah. The didn't end of this always mile make run sense. I'm going to
1: Webster out. Never we get to the car. It's like yeah, no. <laughs> yeah,
0: and it didn't always make sense on the edge of the cliffs either, unless like you're going for like a showy kind of thing to grab attention yeah. for views. So, but yeah, that that's that's I would say that's how this you know for us in the Asheville Park area, our movement style was definitely more like. Like I said, animal mechanics was big, something we trained a lot, because as you were saying, you know, we got to transition from like being on just our feet to like just our hands and feet now and crawling under things and, and standing and rising again. And out that's a, it.
1: a modality of bail. Like if I can bail on my arms and my QM are good enough, then well, I can convert this. Oh, this is all right. We're going sideways. And then back to, you know, bipedal again, mm-hmm. you know, instead of like face plant when your hands aren't strong enough. So.
0: Hmm. And um, you know, out training in the mountains, there's just so much little detail. There's like, you know, there's the tree, but on the side of the tree is just like four inches of a little knob of a, a knob of a branch that broke off at some point. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I can tack off that, or I can, you know, I can lightly set that, or I'm gonna like stride this root system. And...
1: Yeah. I, I you know honestly, I saw and like I watch, you know, each person before I talk, and I watch as much as I can, and I saw you do a tack off of. Like, you know, oh, let's describe parkour in words, but it almost <laughs> looked like a a stairwell next to a building. And there's like a wall, there's two walls perpendicular to the building's wall. And the brickwork looked like more like stacked stone than bricks. And the like the stride to cat leap on the far side of this thing was like stupidly impossible. And so when I saw you, you know, you watch things in real time, you're like, where is he? Oh, oh, that was an interesting solution. (laughs) So you did the stride and I'm like, there's no way that you're going to make it. And you did a tack off of the brick wall with your right foot and then went on, I think it was to a cat, you know, a cat grab on the far side. And it was just an interesting little, like it wasn't the most upward tack in the world, but it was just like enough to like bump that parabola on the whole arc up to get to the far wall. And when I saw that, I was like, you know, I, I mean, there are only a handful of people I think they could actually pull that tack off, but it really just looked like something you had done a million times. And when you're describing like tacking off and I would call those, you know, punji spikes sticking out of the side of a tree like a broken branch would be a danger point, but tacking uh, yeah, off once over. <laughs> but like tacking off of trees and tacking off of rocks, that way that would open up a hole, you know, even if you're only imagining eight, ten foot I'm trying to do an eight foot stride, but you know, I could put this tack in here and then it's two little puny four foot strides. And it was just a neat, it's just, it's, I could just tell that wasn't something that you had to really work hard to figure out how to put that tack in the middle of those two pieces. So just, yeah, now I'm starting to connect some of the movements that I saw in the, or in my mind, I'm beginning to connect, like where some of those movement patterns that I saw in videos are coming from. So mad props on that. Although you probably weren't thinking, I'm going to go out here and stride these boulders and then I can be better at you know, ducking under torpedoes.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. It's all transferable. Yes. Yeah, it's all transferable. Yeah. And, um, and I'll say too, like uh, I, you know, while I'm thinking about this and we're talking about it, a really big benefit training a lot in nature gives is a lot of the stuff we were doing moved still, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like you brought up the point, you said that, you know, tacking off a little broken knob of a branch on a tree. You're right. It, I, I think I've it's dawned on me before, but I, I think I've just kind of like lost over, but you're right. It could break again from tacking <laughs> out like, broke once, I like break. it broke once. It's already compromised. <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: well, um, you kind of step a little more on the tree, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 So, and we you know dealing with that type of variable all the time is not something I feel like you deal with. City. I mean, you get like the wobbly rail pre every now yeah. and again, or I just feel like if things are, unstable in the city setting, it's very obvious and people tend to just very much avoid it.
1: Uh, well, and, and people are always uh, and I think this makes sense when you're very new you know, check your surfaces, always, you know, check things first, don't dive onto the roof unless you know the roof is load-bearing or whatever Right, right. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, you're not in the in the natural environment you start to get a feel for that you mm-hmm. kind of feel for that's going to be slippier
0: that's going to move so yeah and things like you know you're tacking off a tree you might grab a branch just swing between two boulders just little transitionary type motions to kind of just keep your momentum going branches move
1: yeah and um, and,
0: and, and they're flexible based on the type of tree so yeah. that's something we learned too like you know we see a roto coming up and it's going to be low but you could swing on it's, rotos all day. Right.
1: So it's kind of like you know? it's semi open chain instead of like in a mm-hmm. concrete built environment, everything is, you're either doing something intentionally open chain or everything I tack or jump or push or pull on is fixed. And mm-hmm. if you're muscling around in wet rocks or, you know, flexible branches, then it's going to be more like eh, everything shifts. And that I think that would build up, aside from proprioception, that would build up a ton of, you know uh i think it was somebody i can't remember the name of the guest somebody was talking about training in the mid-range oh that was uh sean and and he was saying like yeah you you don't necessarily necessarily want to get stronger in the middle you want to try and like broaden the range of motion where you feel comfortable so when i do this tack and the thing shifts you know do i have some spare pelvic you know strength to counter the additional torque you know or or is it like I can only do the tack if I know exactly how my foot is going to interact with that thing. Right. So I think there's a huge benefit to constantly—I was going to say—torturing yourself, constantly exposing yourself to these, you know, natural environments that are going to challenge you in unexpected ways every time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of times too, you know, you'll be approaching something like that in a natural environment, and a lot of times I just anticipate it's going to move, so I go <laughs> Let's ahead <just> and assume. <laughs> I just yeah. assume it's going to shift a little bit. At least a little bit. Something's always shifting a little bit. So, but I would go ahead and like kind of be one step ahead of that and ahead of myself on it by making sure my body is in a position where, you know, if I'm going to, you know, tack off this rock on the side here and that rock tips over, you know, do I have, as you were saying, do I have enough mobility in my hips to like recenter my weight or to even just, or I'm anticipating that rock to move and I'm going to use the movement of that rock to redirect me in the direction Hmm. I'm going. So that, that was a whole another fun process. And I think that that has a lot of value was train, like, you know, you train in the city and there's just different things. Like you're saying, everything's fixed and training the city is really nice. But then sometimes you just, I just need to be out in the woods and I just need a little bit of unknown variables. And when I train in the woods too, it's, I really feel like I don't train like lines the way you do in a city. You know, it's like, Oh, here, I'm going to start there. Do that move there. Do that move there going to practice it, maybe walk through some of it, feel of out. It's like outside you just go, you go very like thoughtlessly, hmm. but move very, move very methodically. So you kind of enter that flow state more, or at least I do when I'm outside training, I kind of hit that flow state more. And I think a lot of people like, I think most folks have been on like a trail run at some point in their life. Yeah, you know, when you're trail running, you're constantly having to like you know, watch out for little roots. And yeah, little the ankles, right? And, and you're watching your feet. So you gotta. But it's not like you're slowing down your pace when you're trail run. That's those are all things you just have to take when they're coming. And that's how we trained outside a lot too. Is like we'll just go and not necessarily plan something out, but just keep taking it as it as it keeps coming at us. Hmm. And, and our, our, our most forefought planning would be like, we'll just set up like a shuttle. We'll, we'll yeah. know we're starting here. We're ending there, yeah. And we're just not really going to stop anywhere in the middle. Right.
1: So what's uh, either, what, what do you want to talk about next? Do you want to talk about what's next for you? We haven't touched on chase tag. We haven't touched on APK.
0: We haven't touched yeah, there's on. A, there's a lot going on. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> um,
1: just being mindful of your time, what, Did any one of those things jump out at you as something you might go on next? Uh,
0: uh, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of jump around with it. So yeah, that was kind of our beginning here. And that was kind of how I built the Asheville parkour community, or at least, Tried to build as much of a community as I can. Um, and like every community, it comes and goes as far as how many people are actively involved. But I would say there's always been consistently at least like three people that you can always rely on to train within this area for the last 10 years. Actually, one's about to move to Kentucky, so it's going to get a little less than that. But <laughs> we need a replacement. Yeah. So as we started developing more of and, and really feeling confident that we're good movers, then we learned about the Greenville parkour it, it dawned on us like oh my gosh there's other people in <laughs> other parts of the world that trained too. like you know what I mean it probably dawned on us well, like wait but, there's there's other but, cities close to here yeah it's like an hour and a half no wait Greenville's like Greenville South like, Carolina two and, is, and a half hours from no here? Greenville South Carolina is about one hour okay um, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. just followed the navigation computer. <laughs> I think I drove through Greenville today. Uh, there is a Greenville, North Carolina, which I think is like two and a half hours away. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. You said
1: South Carolina. Yeah, South Carolina. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Greenville, North Carolina, which I drove through today is pretty far from here, but okay. So there's a Greenville, South Carolina.
0: Yeah. So there came a day, I think it was like 2013. I want to say I heard about a jam. It was my first, I'd never been to a jam. You know, we'd just been training up here. We didn't really know there were other communities that were in a reasonable distance from us to train with and found out about a Greenville, South Carolina, parkour jam um, through, it might've been 2012. Now I'm losing time. Um, I found out through American Talking Parkour the where they had like a schedule of upcoming jams and they were maintaining that information on their website. So usually using that information, went out to the gym and actually started connect with people from like other communities and other communities all have different styles of training. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really funny. Um, whoever tends to be like a community leader that most everyone tends to kind of train about that same style. And that's where I met Bob Reese. Everyone mm-hmm. knows Bob Reese now. Yeah. Um, that was funny. Uh, he wasn't a big name back then, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, you know, met the Greenville community and they were, they had a lot more people involved and they've been more established. So they were just kind of further along in training than we were here. I also found it hard. It's like, it's hard to train yourself and learn at the same time. Right. Like when you're, when you're the one doing all the things first in an area, it's like, who's pushing you. Right. Right. So you go into another community and it's like, Oh, there's all these guys and these guys are definitely like, they're better movers, they have more technique, they have more skill down. So that's when we started, Like that's when we really started branching out and training with both communities. And sometime thereafter meeting a bunch of those guys, uh, there were a couple of them who really wanted to get into stunt work and they were telling me about this stunt job through Six Flags America in Washington DC. Six Flags only has one stunt team in their entire thing and that's at their corporate location. Mm. And I remember I was holding a mini jam. It was my first like kind of mini jam I ever hosted. I had a lock in at the gym. I was coaching at the time and it was about four and, and you know how jams are in a gym. It's four in the morning. And there's someone's doing giants and just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people throwing down at four a.m. You know what I mean? And uh, that's what was happening. I remember sitting by our high bar and someone's going up there just doing giants and working some dub flyaways and I was talking to a couple guys from Greenville and they are telling me how there's this uh, stunt gig in Six Flags and made it sound like it's this big world class thing and they were like yeah we got this um, we're we're driving down there for this audition and like I think it was like literally like next week kind of thing it was (laughs) within two weeks it was somewhere between a week and two weeks out and they were like you should go and I was like "Ah, I don't know and they're like no 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 like make a reel Like, here's this guy, like, just email him, tell him that, like, you know, you know us, like, just, just, just try. And I was like, I got home later that, you know, after the, after all that, (laughs) so it must have been like the next night. And I was like, you know what, I got nothing to lose. Let me just throw together a little something. Like, I've been collecting some clips I was pretty proud of at that time that I was holding on to. So I was like, let me just throw together like a minute thing. And I did and uh got called in for an audition ended up just bumming a ride with those guys from greenville went out there did this audition for a stunt thing and then a couple days after that got offered this position so basically found out between when i found out about this potential stunt job thing and when i just left and moved to dc to do it was probably like a three-week span (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just <laughs> dropped my whole dropped everything I was doing. Just go there. Just had an opportunity and I was like, wow, that and it kind of really came together in a way that just fell on my lap. Like I said, like I didn't hear about this, just happened to be talking about some people. They convinced me into it. Just happened to bum a ride with them to the audition. Hmm. Got offered the part and went for it. So then I went out to DC and I joined their stunt team for a contract. And that was, I learned very quickly that live entertainment is just not what I was into. <laughs> live entertainment, it's hard.
1: Sit, ubu, sit. It's, Good dog. Yeah, it's do it really the same hard, thing every yeah. night. Do exactly what you're supposed to do and land on the tape.
0: Every time, yeah. And there's just some days you just get up and, you know, my body does not want to do a backflip today.
1: Yeah.
0: But I don't have that choice. Yeah. <laughs> my body doesn't have the choice anymore either. Yes. So I moved out to DC um, beginning of 2014 to do that. And that's when I went to my first Beast Coast Jam, and mm. that's how I started really linking up with American Parkour. And that's when I met Mark. And yeah, just went out there. My first Beast Coast Jam was it's, it's such a it was my first like huge jam on like a national mm. jam on that level. And, you know, everyone's first national jam is just always like this amazing time. And, you know, I was with all these friends and from all over the place and you know, people, had, you know, like jams, you know, you only see these people at jams once a year <laughs> Right. and yeah, I had a great time and, you know, really tried to strike up a relationship with Mark. And then once I finished my contract with Six Flags, I just kind of stayed communication. I really want to try to help out American parkour um, in any way I can by that point I was editing a lot of videos and I was kind of developing a good reputation for putting out good video content, like being Mm -hmm. a good editor. And so I started to try to offer those services with Mark and then kind of trying to start representing APK. You know, I really enjoy what they're doing, especially like what they've done with like bringing parkour to public school systems in DC. I think that was monumental for what they were doing and I just wanted to be a part of that. And so back then, their their ambassador program was structured differently then than it is currently today. But yeah, they made me an ambassador and then I was ambassador for a couple of years and then they changed it to more of like a true sponsorship type style like program. Mm-hmm. And by that point, I was, I'd actually uh, had a pretty major back injury. Don't know what happened. I no <laughs> causation, but I fractured my L3. <laughs> so I had to take some, a good amount of time off. And that also kind of forced me to train a little differently. So I kind of just started falling away from like wanting to like do these huge things all the time, you know, like, you know, trying to do 15 foot prees all day, every day, you know, there was just a point where like that wasn't sustainable, you know, on a long term level, especially after like a major back injury like I had. So I just kind of like adjusted the sails of how I can train and just kinda of fell back on to just more like smooth tech, natural type movement. Yeah.
1: It's a heck of a journey. Yeah. Um It's been
0: a long journey. And then yeah, so did that and moved to after Stunt contract. I had a year stint on Long Island and got to train with like people like Max Henry and David Ehrlich and just a lot of people. I think at that point had a lot of, and I was recovering from a knee injury at that point too. And they really like taught me a lot about long-term technique and how to just have better technique to just handle impact and training for a very long time. And I think, you know, you've been training such a physically demanding thing. Like eventually in, in terms of longevity, like I think to be able to train parkour for 10, 20 years, you're not going to be able to go like super hard that entire time. Right. You know, you're not going to, you can't take like 20 foot height drops for 20 years. <laughs> like there's, there, there is a cap to all that.
1: It's <laughs> an odometer. You know,
0: you know I mean, I, I remember I had this conversation with Bob Reese a couple years ago and he, you know, we were like, yeah, I mean, you can't do double backs outside all the time you know there just comes a point where you just are not going to be doing that outside you know Mm -hmm. so how do you continue to move and train if like all your training style is just like throwing down these huge banger tricks every time you went out you know so i learned a lot about from them like just smooth technique and just how to like really just you know and it's funny because again it parallels back to just moving in nature you know where you're not worried about Throwing a big flip or anything that you're just like I'm going from here I'm going to there and I'm gonna put my hands and feet on all these different things in between and I'm just gonna make it smooth and you know every hand leads to the next one every step leads to the next thing there's no stutter there's no pause it's just motion and so yeah, I had small stent in Long Island, and then I moved to Greenville, South Carolina, and spent a couple years down there as well. Um, at that point, I started coaching full-time. I started coaching, picking up, like coaching up gymnastics in Long Island. So when I moved to Greenville, I was able to just coach full-time between doing parkour classes, tumbling classes for like cheer, or whatever, like recreational, and then I was coaching uh, competition gymnastics for women's hmm. for a couple years. And I trained a couple of state champions on bars, like first year competition gymnast bars was kind of like my main, main event that I trained and I had a uh, state champions both years. So that was pretty cool. I yeah. felt pretty accomplished about that. That's, um, and that's working nothing with to this, shake a stick at. Yeah. 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 And yeah, it was really nice to coach full time and everything. And, and, and just being in, involved on all these different levels at this point, it's been so many years of involving. And I like to talk to people, you know, I like to connect with communities and, often connect people together. And as, yes. as a community leader myself, you know, and have been, and just, it was just kind of like a role I have like slipped into over over that time frame. But yeah, because of that, I, you know, most people, at least have heard of my name at some point. Yeah. And yeah. And then I had opportunities come up like, you know, Alan Tran over at Enzo brought me out for summit in 2019 as a guest coach and Enzo movement had a team for world chase tag last year, Mm -hmm. which was going to be the first time it was in the U S and they really wanted to get a lot of like some of the best of the best together to really put on a show to bring it to the, to the public eye out here and got offered an opportunity to be on Enzo movement's team that way as well. So yeah, just kind of taking it as it comes.
1: (laughs) That's a terrific story. I think, and I don't just mean like the very, I mean like the whole thing, the whole, like you've basically been telling, episodes are so different some episodes you know we like get philosophical or we're on one topic but it's interesting how your episode the whole thing here is like one i don't mean long like you know i just mean like one long arc you just built that basically ends at today at an hour and 20 minutes I'm like oh that's impressive um, <laughs> so yeah that's fun it, it's been a, a delight to uh, you know hang out a little bit and chat and i'll be mindful of your time as much as i Hate to say it every time. I will just say, and of course the final question, three words to describe your practice.
0: I knew this was coming. (laughs) In fact, I was warned a couple times about this. Um, (laughs) And here we are at the bridge and
1: (laughs) the pride jump.
0: Yeah. It's so hard, you know, and, and I'm it's and my particular journey has been diverse in a lot of ways. You know, it hasn't been just one specific discipline I've kind of, for me, you know, I I like to be a, a student of movement, and something I often like to say is that, you know, movement to the body are like what words to the mind are, you know, the body needs to move, and it's the language of the body, and there's just so much different types of movement, you know, like, within our language, we have so many words, we have so many words to describe the same thing, but just in varying extents of that same thing, and... There's just so much different movement to speak the language of the body, you know, which the body's whole function and purpose is to literally move. And so to me just movement like I said movement to the body are like words to the mind. And yeah, if I can encompass this whole journey of just different things and it's it's like things were so different but they were all interconnected in their own pulse. And uh, three words, natural for sure. Like, though that's not the three words, just natural being one of right. them. <laughs> natural for sure. That's where I leave that. Natural for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a test. Just yeah, uh, keep going natural. Yeah. Uh, three words describe my, just my movement. Natural, precise, and thought provoking. Thought provoking is hyphenated.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I always say hyphens are free. Ryan, I think those are not only terrific words, but they do sum up, um, I think, the story arc so far of your journey. And I wish you all the best and thanks. It's been a distinct pleasure. Thanks. It's been fun being on the show.